Welcome to the Habesha Finance Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve financial independence and overcome your money problems. I'm Matt, bringing you the education and tools to help you get your life back, build wealth, and make a difference. Hey everyone, I'm Matt, and this is the final episode of Five Lessons Learned Following Day Ramsey's Baby Steps, Selecting Mutual Funds. So I realize I haven't really mentioned what the Dave Ramsey baby steps are, at least not yet. And I'm going to go ahead and do that, just so you guys can understand what I started with. There are seven baby steps, and this is literally pulled from the Dave Ramsey website. Baby step one, save $1,000 to start an emergency fund. Baby step two, pay off all debt using the debt snowball method. Baby step three, save three to six months of expenses for emergencies. Baby step four, invest 15% of your household income into Roth IRAs and pre-tax retirement funds. Baby step five, save for your children's college fund. Baby step six, pay off your home early. Baby step seven, build wealth and give. Simply put, the financial independent camp wins this argument. Low-cost index funds are the way to go. To be fair, Dave Ramsey doesn't mind index funds. He does advertise the work of financial professionals in his smart vester services. And from what I gather, low-cost index funds are not typically the choices promoted. When you do the math and research, which a lot has been done on, low-cost index funds are going to outperform the majority of actively managed mutual funds in the long term. Whether you're investing in a taxable or tax-advantaged savings account, I like having index funds, a combination of the U.S. total market index fund and a total bond index fund, I think are two great funds to start with. I mentioned in episode 2, my 401k is invested in two funds, 75% in Fidelity's U.S. Total Market Fund, which is FSTVX, and an international stock market index fund offered by the 401k plan. And these are funds that have hundreds and thousands of holdings in each. For example, with FSTVX, the Fidelity U.S. Total Market Fund, you're invested in over 3,300 U.S. public companies. There's another fund I really like too, the S&P 500, which is basically the top 500 companies in the U.S. Each dollar you invest in the fund gets shared by those 3,000 plus companies or 500 companies, depending on which stock mutual fund you choose. That makes for a very nice diverse investment portfolio. You add a U.S. bond index fund that does basically the same thing in the bond market, and depending on how much you can handle the ups and downs, you could increase the ratio between bonds and stocks. I'm okay with 30%, 40%, or 50% drop in my 401k because I'm still early in my investing career. So I am 100% stocks. As I get closer to retirement or even maybe around 40 I could see myself moving to 20% bonds and 80% stocks. You just have to figure this out for yourself and make your split. For young people, I think 100% stocks is a good way to go. But the older you get, obviously, you want to stabilize the ups and downs of your investment portfolio. So I would say for the vast majority of you, maybe in, who are older, 
starting with 25%, 30% bonds, and 70% to 75% stocks is wise. I'll talk more about different fund strategies in a later episode. Aside from how you allocate your investment portfolio, the point of this episode is for you to understand to keep your cost of your mutual fund selections as low as possible. Doesn't matter what type of savings account you have, whether it's a taxable or non-taxable savings account, keeping fees low is important. So when I go select a mutual fund in my 401k plan, I'm looking for the ones with low fees. I'm looking for something called the expense ratio. I want this to be lower than 0.1% or 10 basis points. FSTVX charges 0.035% or 3.5 basis points. That's pretty awesome. That's 35 cents for every $1,000 that gets charged yearly against my account. And that's really not bad. But when you get into the mutual funds that charge 1% or 2%, you're talking about potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars that you end up paying in fees because of compound interest. For example, let's say you invest $100 a month over the next 40 years, and that compounds at 8%. Obviously, I'm not taking inflation into consideration, but your final amount is about $335,000. Now, that same investment gets charged with a 0.035 expense ratio. Over 40 years, you end up with about $332,000. Over 40 years, you only paid $3,000 in fees. That's not bad, especially when you compare it to the 1% fee you get hit with in high-cost mutual funds. With a 1% fee, you end up with $256,000. Over 40 years, you paid almost $80,000 in fees. And the research has been done. These high-cost mutual funds that are usually actively managed do not perform better than the low-cost index funds. This is what the data shows. In both scenarios, you only invested $48,000 over 40 years. So you won't do bad with both. You just aren't optimizing your retirement nest egg with funds that charge higher fees. It just boggles my mind. Unbelievable how I was someone who was investing my 401k plan in these high-cost funds. Now, there may be a case to have an actively managed fund, but I look at Warren Buffett and what he wrote in his will for his wife. He advised on the money that he leaves that 90% of it goes to the S&P 500 index fund and the other 10% in short-term government bonds. You see... He understands that higher investment fees do not mean higher investment performance. It's just easier to put the money in an index fund, to put the money in an S&P 500 index fund or a total market index fund. In all, you definitely want to know what you're investing your money in. I think for me and many of you, having two or three funds is more than enough to get started and possibly keep forever. I know some people who have a U.S. total market fund, a bond index fund, and an international market fund. Like I said, right now, I'm 100% stock mutual funds, with 75% in the U.S. total stock market fund and 25% in an international total stock market fund. And I'm sticking with index funds for my investment portfolio. No single stocks, no currency, 
especially Bitcoin and the rest of the cryptocurrencies out there. No gold, nothing else for right now. Just index funds. Of course, if this changes, you'll be the first to hear on this podcast. So what I want you to do is do your homework. Check how much you're paying yearly in fees for the funds you have in your retirement savings accounts. For most of us, index funds are the best way to invest your hard-earned money. It just doesn't make sense to have to pay so much in fees. So what now after Dave Ramsey? As I've stated before, Dave Ramsey changed my outlook on personal finance, and that was a positive. I strongly believe he is a great advocate of financial freedom, and the Dave Ramsey baby steps are an excellent way for anyone to get started on the path to financial independence. However, there are some tweaks and improvements that can be made to his baby steps, and this is why the financial independence movement exists. This is why Brother FI exists, so that you get the information to discover more optimal ways of achieving financial independence. That'll do it for today on this final part of 5 Lessons Learned Following Dave Ramsey's Baby Steps.